Hello, I'm Dr. Eileen Hale, the COO of Teaching Tips for English Language Teachers, a project of educators worldwide. Welcome to our month of games. We're going to have a special guest with us today, Dr. Carmela Romano Gillette, talking to us about improv games. Carmela comes to us from the University of Michigan at their English Language Institute, where she teaches courses for teacher education. She also is a co-author of a book we'd want to recommend to you called Drama in the Language Classroom, What Every ESL Teacher Needs to Know, recently published in 2019. We're so excited to have Carmela join us today to share her expertise on improv games. Welcome, Carmela. It's such a pleasure to have you join us today from warm Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm a little buried in snow right now, but it's nice to be here. I'm glad you still have electricity anyway. So Carmela, how did you first get into improv games? Well, I do have a little bit of a background in theater because I majored in theater as an undergraduate student. But more recently, um, a number of years ago, I was working in an English language program at a university, and I was asked to co-teach a class, a content-based language English language class uh, with a professor of theater. So he was the content instructor, I was the language instructor. Um, but what happened was that we also started, you know, along with teaching acting theory and theater history, we started implementing some uh, things from actor training and found that it was just um, amazing how well students responded to it and how I could see their growth in language because they were getting opportunities to practice using language by playing improv games and doing other types of, you know, acting related activities. Can you explain what do you mean by improv games exactly? Okay, so improv games come from improvisational theater. So these were um, activities, uh, sort of things that uh, groups would do when they were trying to create community within a theater. So maybe a theater group or a cast of a particular play or show. Um, would do these activities as ways to sort of um, create, uh, you know, to bond among the cast. And so the way it works is that, you know, generally speaking, there is, you know, the, the cardinal rule of improv is that you always say yes, you never, you know, block anything. Um, and then, but the idea is, is that you kind of act out a scene um, without any sort of script or any sort of plan you just come up with a concept and then work from there. And so from that, there have been developed sort of particular games that um, kind of encourage that sort of activity. So for example, one of them is called Yes And, um, which comes from you know, the cardinal rule of improv, which is to always say yes and then to add to the scene. So if somebody says to you, hi, you look like a pirate, you say yes, and I love to sail on the high seas, right? Um, so it, it's, it's just basically a way to, um, to build community, but you know, in a language classroom, you can use it as a way to work on spontaneous speech as well. That's great. I was just thinking I'm teaching a reading and writing class now. It could be a fun way to 
impromptu act out the reading, what they understand from the reading, for example? Have you used it in that kind of context? Oh, absolutely. All the time, all the time. Yeah. So every class that I teach now, if it's an English language class, and then even in some of my teacher ed classes, um, I use improv games for warm up. And I find that, you know, it started out as a, something I did just in a, a, you know, in a speaking class. But, um, but now I find that in any class, I can find a way to use improv to uh, spark thinking, uh, to get students interacting with one another when they might not be um, so anxious to do that. Um, and sometimes just to wake everybody up. <laughs> yeah, and it builds their confidence too, doesn't it? When you have them do these improvisational stand up, do they do, do it in front of the class or have them usually work in partners or small groups to do the improv games? It depends on what the goal is. And that's that's the big thing is you have to you have to determine what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish with the game, and then that will drive how you run it. Um, but normally it's a it's an all group thing. And we all sort of everybody has to you know, this is why I say, you know, sometimes just the goal is to wake everybody up, because if I'm teaching a morning class and everybody's coming in kind of sleepy. Um, if I ask them to stand up and play this game with me, I find that the entire rest of the class is much more energized, much more lively um, than it would have been if I, you know, if we just would have sort of carried on in our, you know, as our sleepy selves. Um, but normally, yeah, it's something that um, it's is a whole group thing, although there are variations that I will do. So, for example, with the game Yes And, where I'll have pairs work together. Um, so that they can have, you know, and and a conversation uh, sustained back and forth. Um, we can do the same kind of thing, sort of around a circle, but for sustained conversation, the pair work is works really well as well. Okay, great. And what age do you usually use improv games for? Can it be over all age students? Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that works with all ages. Um, so uh, I need to vent if I'm talking about um, improv, I need to mention Viola Spolin, who is sort of the mother of improv. Um, but she wrote a book a number of years ago called Theater Games for the Classroom um, that was meant for work with elementary school age children. But if you if you do any sort of Google search on Viola Spolin, improv games for the classroom or any of those kinds of things, you'll find lots of YouTube videos and lots of websites where people are talking about the ways they've used improv games at all levels in all classrooms. For me, um, I mostly work with adults. So I work with, um, you know, sometimes students in adult education settings, um, but my main job is at a university where I work with a lot of graduate students and very serious, you know, PhDs in physics kind of graduate students. Um, and so to ask them to get up and play a game with me can sometimes be a challenge. Um, so what I find is that I have to set a purpose for them and I have to explain from the start that um, there's a reason why we're playing this game. And even if I don't, you know, reveal it right away, I, I let them know. And I also talk about the research behind it as well. Um, because that's, you know, that particular student population. With first graders, it's a lot easier, I think, to say, let's get up and play a game. Um, but I have found that, you know, if you, if you set it up properly, you can get buy-in from just about any group. Okay, awesome. So we will include in our notes, show notes also, a link for Viola Spolin's 
um, information for you. Can you give us some examples of some improv games you use with your adult? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, you know, the, the first game is always yes and, which is just somebody picks up a topic and then every person who participates in the discussion from that point on has to start their turn with the words yes and, which sort of um, makes them accept what they've heard and then add to it. Um, Can so you that's, give a quick example of that? Sure, sure. So again, if you, go, uh, if you Google it, yes and, you'll find tons of videos of people playing yes and. Um, but if I were to say to you, so you'll have to play with me. <laughs> if I were to say to you, um, you know, I think snow is the best thing in the world. Yes, and I lived in snow for many years and I love sun. <laughs> Thanks, but I'm <laughs> done with the snow. <laughs> yes, and sun can be great too. Um, but you know, you can't build a snowman without snow. Yes, and in the beach area, you can build a sandman. <laughs> yes, and you're right. I didn't even think about sandman. That's a great idea. So in other words, you just kind of go back and right, forth right. just like that. And then if you were a student of mine, I would encourage you to say, because I mean, I kind of set you up because I knew that <laughs> you weren't a big fan of snow. Um, but I would encourage you to sort of pretend that you were, uh, you know, and to find something, you know, positive and yes to say about snow. Right. And you just made me think also, I think you could extrapolate this game into teaching conjunctions, right? Yes, and, or, but, and, or, but, and teach those as part of the game, right? And having them practice those. Absolutely, absolutely. What I will often do is we'll play a couple of rounds of yes, and, and then I'll say, let's play no, but, which is the same game, but, you know, with, you know, the next person starting with no, but. And what we find is that the, the game ends pretty quickly when we say no but right because <laughs> yeah. so and so we talk about how you know the those two uh you know um using those two different phrases can add or stop a conversation um but also of course you know then talking about the conjunctions themselves and and that yeah great any other games you'd like to share with our listeners yeah, so along the same lines, there's a game called What Are You Doing? And the way that one works is that the first person will do some sort of action. So let's say I'm kind of, you know, snapping my fingers and dancing. And so person number two in line says to me, what are you doing? And I say, I'm brushing my teeth. Well, now that person has to start, you know, sort of miming brushing their teeth. And then the next person asks them, what are you doing? And they say, I'm singing a song. And then that person has to sing a song. Um, so it's a way to have them thinking about what they're going to say while they're doing something else, but it's also a really great way to talk about, you know, present continuous verb forms. Um, it's also a, a great way to talk about or to, you know, to have them work with verbs that they know um, and, you know, hearing verbs and then sort of seeing them in action. Um, so it's a great way to do some vocabulary building and, you know, a little bit of grammar, um, but, you know, yeah, having sure. fun at the same time. 
right, as like a TPR activity, total physical response, where they're actualizing what they're doing. I found those really effective as well. And you Absolutely. could extrapolate into the past tense. What was he doing or what was she doing to practice the past progressive tense as well? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, another one I use, um, because I work with a lot of international TAs who will be teaching for the first time in their lives, and a lot of them are kind of terrified by that. Um, so one of the things that I always have to work with them on is projection, voice projection in the classroom. And um, so there's a great game called Exaggeration Circle, where everyone's in a circle, and the first person says a word or phrase, and then has an action that goes along with it. So I might say something like, hi, and give a little wave. Well, the next person has to take that same word or phrase and action, but do it just a little bit bigger. So the next person might say, you know, a little bit louder or elongate the vowel, right? Hi, and then kind of a bigger wave. And then, you know, as it goes around the room, everybody's having to make it a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And so sometimes people will add, you know, hi, how are you? Or, you know, they'll wave with both hands, um, but they all have to kind of figure out a way to make that bigger. Um, and that's, as I said, a great way for them to practice projection because they start to recognize this is what it sounds like when I'm saying it very small. Because sometimes, you know, people on the other side of the circle don't even hear it at first because it's so small. Yeah, and then we idea. recognize once it gets bigger, you know, what feels like appropriate volume and what doesn't feel like appropriate volume. Right. And it must add a lot of humor to the class. Bring down the affective filter, right? <laughs> that's yes. And that's a huge part of the whole thing, right? So we're we're playing these games, but it's it's almost impossible to do it wrong mm -hmm. um, because it's improv. And so everything is accepted. Everything is positive. Everything is yes. Um, and so it creates this space where students are building confidence, they're, um, they're having fun, but they're also practicing and using language in a way that, you know, they kind of can't do it wrong. And so they become much more willing to take risks. And then they also feel more supported. Yeah, there's so many benefits of improv games. So just to recap, since you've shared so much, what kind of advice would you give teachers that are newer to improv games to encourage them to dive in with a game so, in their class? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes, absolutely. I, um, I would encourage teachers, don't be afraid of improv. So one of the things about improv, as I keep saying, is that you, know, you have to be open. You have to be open to the yes of improv. Um, but as teachers, oftentimes we like to control the spaces in our classroom. This is an opportunity for you to let go of a little bit of that control and let students just be in that space. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just a moment or two in your classroom, um, but I encourage you to do that because a lot of great things come from that. I agree 100%. And it really builds that community of learners in your classroom. And again, as we mentioned, which brings back down the affective filter, and they're apt to be much more engaged in your teaching when they have that safe feeling and feel like they're a community together and could laugh together and have fun and not be embarrassed to make mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, right? Absolutely. They feel the support from me as the teacher and from one another. And it, it becomes a much better space for building confidence and practicing the language. Great. So the games you mentioned, we mentioned those three games again, one more time for our listeners. Uh, yes, and. Yes, and. What are you doing? What are you doing? And. 
and exaggeration circle. Great. And we'll put those in our show notes as well. So you could look them up. One recommendation would be to Google them first and see examples and maybe even show the examples to your students in class so they can kind of see what they're going to be asked to do, right? Before they're asked to do it, if it's the first time you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned um, my book that I co-wrote with Derek McNish. I have to mention my co-author, um, but there's a there's a couple of chapters in there with lots of explanations about using improv in those particular games. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Carmela. And you can find Carmela uh, in our show notes as well. We have her email and her link to her book, performingfluency.com is where they can find you and your book, Drama in the Language Classroom, what every ESL teacher needs to know. Thanks again, Carmela. We really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your great tips for improv games. Thank you so much. Follow us on our website, ttelt.org, for prior and new upcoming podcasts. Our Facebook, TTELT group, Instagram at t.ttelt, and Twitter at ttelt1. Thanks for joining us today. Mm -hmm.